This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. All right, good job, guys. Good job. All right, who likes the tight quarters here? Are you feeling up and cozy with your neighbors now? Now, listen, I grew up. It's a lot of kids in my family. There's uh, about eight kids, give or take, somewhere. I don't know. There's a bunch of kids in my family. Lots of people that I'm related to. And we grew up out in the country with one bathroom. Now, if you think you have no, you know, you gotta love your enemies, your brothers and sisters can turn into your enemy when there's only one El Bano in the house. Thank God we also grew up in the woods, so there's about a million trees out back, so you can just fill in the blanks right there. Praise God. Alright, well, uh, my parents are, uh, down in, uh, San Diego tonight. My brother Joe, little Jojo, my, my brother, he's, uh, finally back from his training in Virginia with the Marines, so he's gonna be back with us full time in Barstow now, so. Yes, amen. We're excited. But, uh, he, so they're picking him up tonight. He's got to check in at Camp Pendleton tomorrow, and then they'll be back, uh, back up here tomorrow with Joe. So it's, uh, really exciting. Um, some of you haven't met him yet. You'll meet him soon. And, uh, Joe's an experience. He's, he's an experience. You, you have to experience Joe. You don't meet him. You experience Joe. He's, he's a good guy though. He's my brother. So, anyway, well, we're going to go ahead and get into the message tonight. If you could put that up there, Heather. The title of the message tonight is this. The struggle is real, but it's not greater than Jesus. Amen? The struggle is real, but it's not greater than Jesus. And you know, this is a phrase that I hear all the time when someone's maybe going through a, through a difficulty. They're like, oh man, the struggle's real. Oh, the struggle's real, brother. And I'm like, oh, that's fine, but, but, but listen, Jesus is real too. And I mean, I've been through some struggles, I've been through some difficulties, but I've never been through one that Jesus was less than and that Jesus was afraid of. Every time that I've met the struggle, Jesus was right there with me to get me through the struggle. And so don't just be like, oh man, it's, it's bad, it's getting worse, the struggle's real, brother, just pr-. man, don't do that. You've got to, you've got to have your eyes towards Jesus and say, Jesus, you're real. A lot of people spend all their time talking about how big the mountain is when they need to be talking about how big God is, right? And so let's get this through our mind. If you are facing the struggle tonight, if you're going through the ringer, tonight is the night for you to get some answers if you'll listen to what Jesus is saying tonight. Amen? And so let's go ahead and open up in prayer, and we're going to get into the Word of God here. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, so much that, again, we have a great church to worship you in. Lord, we are blessed with several buildings right here on this property. Every building's in use tonight, God, and we give you glory for that, Lord, because you've blessed us. And now I pray tonight that as we open up our Bibles to you, you're going to speak to each person here, Lord. You know the struggle that we do face, but we know you've got the answer to it, Jesus. And I pray tonight that you're going to speak to us and get us through it. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. All right. So three things we're going to say about the struggle tonight. And I want you to listen up. You need to get this. Is that number one, God is bigger than the struggle. God is bigger than the struggle, whatever the mountain, the problem, the storm, the struggle, whatever you want to call it, whatever it is that you're facing, you've got to know that God's bigger. And I'm not just saying to acknowledge, well, God's bigger. I get, amen, brother. The Lord is. Listen, you got to get it in your heart. 
And I've said this so many times. A lot of times we acknowledge in our head the truth. We say, yeah, well, I know I acknowledge God is bigger. We all know that. But listen, if you only acknowledge it in your mind, but you don't get it in your heart, it's not going to do you any good. You've got to get the word in your heart. King David said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against God. He didn't say, well, I put the word up in my mind there. And then I'm... no, you got to get it in your heart. And so when we say some of these things, don't just let it fly over your head. Get it in your heart that God is bigger than any struggle we face. So I want to show you something here in Isaiah chapter 40. Cletus, I think I'm at the wrong church tonight. I really do. Isaiah chapter 40. Man. So I was at my grandma's church Sunday. Her church is 200 years old. Almost. They're, they're going on 190, I think. But anyway, uh, and so I think some of the founding members are still there. <laughs> no, it was great. It was great. But, but man, they asked me to come up and give the benediction. Now, that's not a word we use a lot around, you know, our Pentecostal type of churches. I so said, Mom, do they want me to pray or do they want me to actually preach a little? She said, well, honey, go, go up there and, you know, see what happens. So. So I went up there and I started preaching. It just happened. And, and, and I mean, I was kind of getting into a groove there, but there was no response at all, man. They were so quiet. And I, my own grandma was sleeping. I looked back and grandma was sleeping. <laughs> grandma is 95, so she has earned some rights, but, but I'm like, and her boyfriend, Ray, her, she's got a boyfriend at 95. He's 90 and I'm talking to him about what's it like to have a long life. And he says, this isn't a joke. He said, well, you'd have to ask my two older brothers. They're older. He's got two brothers older than him still. He's 90. I'm like, geez, man. They get, you know, their church may be boring, but they've got the secret to, I mean, they got the word in their hearts. So <laughs> praise God. Anyway, Isaiah 40. Let's look here at verses 12 through 15. And, you know, I've been parked in the book of Isaiah for about a month. And, and but this chapter 40 is something that's always spoken to me. Isaiah chapter 40. Verses 12 through 15, it says, Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Uh, Nobody that I know. I don't know anybody else that could do that, but check this out. Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Well, there's nobody that knows enough to give God advice, but I know some people that do try to do it. But God, it'd be great if you could bail me out of this one. I'm going to tell you how to do it. This guy over here, you send him over here with a check and that'll take care of everything. Don't give God advice on how to bail you out, man. And there's, I mean, it's such a silly thing to even ask. Who knows enough to advise God and tell him what to do? Yet there are some people that are facing the struggle and they're still telling God how to do his job. That's why you're still in the struggle, because you're not letting God be God. You're trying to do it. Listen, let God be God. Amen. You don't know enough to give God advice. I know that I don't. I'm nowhere near knowing enough to give God advice. Look at the rest of this. It says, has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? No. Does he need instruction about what is good? No. Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No. Nobody has ever taught God anything. He's always known it all. Nobody's taught God anything. No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. Now, as I as I picture all this, 
I mean, I am picturing the hands of God. It says his hand is so big, he can hold the ocean in the palm of his hand. And I really believe that God has a hand that's that big. You know what I mean? And, you know, I, I, I'm looking at this, that the deepest part of the ocean is this place called the Mariana Trench. It is 37, 36,075 feet deep. That's a lot deeper than Mount Everest is tall. 36,000 feet deep, and it fits in the palm of God's hand. Imagine how big earth is, and it says that God can just pick up earth just like this, like it's a little tiny grain of sand. That's how big the hands of God are. Now, do you think that God is intimidated by the struggle? You think God's like, oh, man, no, the struggle is real in his life. I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, I know we say that, but it's, it is real over here. No, God's not afraid of the struggle. His hands are so big that he can hold the waters of the earth right in the palm. Are your hands that big? No, man, you can't even hold a cup of water, can you? All right. Dominic, come on up. Yeah, come on. Let's see this. Let's see this. Now, I did youth group in here for about 10 years, so sometimes I flash back. Then he was one of my students. But let's imagine this. Imagine Dominic's got all these problems, and he's trying to hold them in the palm of his hand, all right? And his problems, they aren't as deep as the ocean. They're just as deep as a six-ounce cup of water. But uh, hold your hand out. Just one. Okay, cup it. Let's see how well he can handle his own problems. Help you out there. Oh, man, that was Barstow tap water. Oh. <laughs> Soap mine road water. But all right, look at this. Look at this. See, where's all the problem at? He didn't handle any of that, did he? No, because he it's not within his ability. Now, imagine if he had a real problem that was bigger than a six-ounce cup of water. Why would you try to handle that on your own when God has a hand so big that he can handle all the oceans of the earth just in the palm of his hand. Why are you trying to handle it? Why are you trying to keep it to yourself? That doesn't make any sense at all. That's foolish. The struggle's real, but Jesus is more real, and Jesus is bigger than the struggle. Amen? You know, I've noticed we often, man, we... Do you ever notice that you tend to make the problem bigger than what it really is? Anyone else? Like, you you know, you, you started out with a splinter, and next thing you, you know, like, oh, it may be cancer. Like, you know, people do dumb stuff like that. They do dumb stuff like that. And I was thinking about this story, uh, Numbers chapter 13. You don't have to turn there, but you can fill in the blanks there. Numbers 13, you can write that down. But Moses sends out the 12 spies to spy out the promised land, right? They get over to Canaan land, and they've heard all these things. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And so they get there, and they send 12 guys out. And you know the story, but we're just going to fill it in a little bit. And so the 12 guys come back. Ten of them say, it is incredible. Everything we've ever dreamed of, uh, milk, honey, uh, you know, it's a, a cluster of grapes so big it takes two grown men to carry it on a pole between them. The pomegranates are like this. It's incredible. It's everything that we've ever dreamed of, but it's just too bad that we'll never get it. Seriously? And so two guys, Joshua and Caleb, they come back and say, oh, man, this is the best thing ever. It's milk, honey, giant grapes. I mean, everything that we've ever wanted. And there's giants over there. We can beat giants up, too, and get the promise. This is everything that we have ever dreamed of. And the other ten guys say, yes, it's all there, but it's full of giants. Everybody there is a giant. That was a lie. 
That's a lie. Not everybody there was a giant. There were giants there, the descendants of Anak, but not every person there was a giant. They made this thing out to be a lot worse of a situation than what it was. And that lie is still told today. I still hear people say, yeah, they went there and the full land, everybody in the land was giants, so they were afraid. Listen, no, not everybody in the land. They were there for 40 days, don't you think? within 40 days time somebody would have noticed that the outcast hey look at those little people look let's go i mean it would have been so obvious that they did not belong there if everybody there they blended in with the crowd there were giants but not everybody was giants they magnified the problem and made it out to be worse than what it really was and it held them out and the god got so upset he said you know what now you're going to wander in the desert for 40 years, one year for every day that the spies were in the land. 40 years. You were there 40 days. Now you're going to wander for 40 years until every last one of the naysayers, the complainers, the people that the struggle was too real for. When they die, then you can get into the promised land. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. When the last one of the of the sissies died out, then God said, OK, you can get into the promised land now. And it was a whole new generation of people. Other than Joshua and Caleb, maybe a few others got in there. Isn't that sad that they magnified the problem bigger than the promise of God? You've got to realize that the promise is bigger than the problem. And if you don't get that down, it's going to be a difficult life for you because you're always going to be tripping over the problem. You're never going to make it past that. You've got to realize that Jesus is real. Amen? He's bigger than the problems in your life, but you've got to choose to say that to yourself. You've got to say, this is a real situation I'm facing. I don't deny that I'm facing a bad situation here, but I do deny this situation the right to stay in my life. You know, faith doesn't deny things. My dad says this all the time. Faith doesn't deny things. Faith changes things. Whenever I got diagnosed with leukemia, they didn't say, oh, he doesn't have leukemia. He doesn't have it. He doesn't have it. He doesn't. They weren't in denial. It was obvious, man. The blood work was in. I had leukemia at the time. No doubt about it. But what they said is, you know what? This is a bad situation, but God is even bigger than this. We refuse to let this stay in his body. Amen. And if you're denying things doesn't help anything, you've got to get real with it and say, I acknowledge that this this is a struggle. It's here, but it's not going to stay here. We're going to get rid of this because my God's hands are so big. He can hold all the waters of the earth right in the palm of his hand. You think he's afraid of this situation? No, he's not. And so you've got to get real with it and say, yeah, God is bigger than the situation that I'm facing right now. Amen. And so even if you're facing a giant, I, I, I was saying this, even if you're facing a giant, get a good look at his hands. Can he hold the waters of the earth in his hands? Then he's not bigger than God, is he? Boom. You've got victory if you just step up to the plate. All right. All right. Number two, God provides a way out of the struggle. God provides a way out of the struggle. So he's bigger than it. And another thing that I love is that God provides a way out of the struggle. I'm going to show you one of my favorite verses here. First Corinthians 10, 13. First Corinthians 10, verse 13. Check this out. Some of you guys know this one. First Corinthians 10, 13. Now, we're liable to get excited when we read this one. So you guys in the front row, I told you you're in the splash section sometimes. I don't know if it's sweat or if it's spit, but something, something's coming your way. First Corinthians 10, 13. 
God always provides the way out, the way of escape. All right, First Corinthians ten thirteen, New Living says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Now, we went over this verse actually about a month ago. But, I, but, but there's something I want, to, I want to explain to you here. That this word temptations, okay, this comes from a couple of different Greek words. But one of these words is pyrasmus, which means test. So it says here that the test or the troubles or the temptations in your life are no different than from what others experience. Because, as I've said many times, the devil will try to lie to you and isolate you and say, man, what you're going through, nobody gets it. Nobody knows what you're going through right now. And you ought to be ashamed of yourself for going through that. You, you ought to be embarrassed and ashamed. And you'll start believing his lies. And you'll start saying, man, no, that's right, man. Nobody else. I've got it worse than anyone else. I mean, I know they've all got problems, but I mean, I've got it really bad. The struggle is real for me. It's not for them, but the struggle, for me, the struggle is really real. And, and I just, they don't get it. I've got it worse. I, and, and then the devil tried to bring guilt and shame and, and, you know, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, man. How you, you've been going to church all these years and you're still struggling with this. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. But the Bible tells us that the test and the temptations that we go through are no different than from what others experience. That encourages me. To say that, you know, I'm not the only one dealing with this right now. And praise God, I'm not going to be dealing with this forever. I'm going to make it through this situation. Why? Because the next part of this verse says, and God is faithful. Wouldn't it be bad if the verse just ended after that first sentence? Struggles in your life are no different than from what others experience. Times are tough everywhere. (laughs) You know, what if it was like that? The struggles that you experience are no different than from what others experience, period. I mean, there would be really no encouragement in that. That'd say, man, geez, everyone's life stinks. This is, geez, man, can't catch a break. This is bad. But it doesn't say that. It says, but God is faithful. That's good news right there, that God is faithful and he will not allow the temptation or the test or the struggle to be more than you can handle. Amen. And with each test, trial, struggle, temptation, you are when you're tempted or troubled, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And I'm glad that God always provides the way through the struggle. You don't have to live right there. Now, I know a lot of people that they've just taken ownership of their struggle, and it's almost like they're glad that it's there. And that's really sad and sickening to see somebody that's like, well, I'm, yeah, I've had this for 50 years now. I mean, it's, it's mine. I, I'm the guy that has this. Everyone knows that. You know, I'm the guy controlled by anger and rage. Everybody knows that. I'm, a, I'm an angry guy. You don't bless it. I, I blow up. Everyone knows that. So, why would you want to be known as that? That's stupid. And I know people that are proud of their, of these type of things. You know, whatever their struggle, they're like proud of it. Like, why would you want to, why would you want to take ownership of the struggle? Why would you want to give it a room in your house and just let it move in and control you for the rest of your life? I don't want to be controlled by the struggle. I don't want to be controlled by sickness or emotions or anything else. I want to be controlled by Jesus Christ 
and he's the only one that's going to control me. And so a lot of times people, they're just like, oh, this is my thing. It's my cross to bear. It's my burden. That's what I'm always going to deal with. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. If you knew your authority in Christ, you'd step up to the plate and handle business. Luke 10:18 says that he's given us authority over all the works of the enemy. All the works of the enemy. And so if the struggle in your life is a work of the enemy, you have authority over it. But if the struggle is a gift from God, then quit praying to get rid of it. You know what I mean? If that struggle is just what God put in your life to be your little thorn in the flesh and teach you and and, uh, and to always just trip you up all the time. If the struggle is something that God put there to teach you to be humble, then why are you trying to pray to get rid of it? You should welcome it and say, give me more struggles. Give me more pain. Give me more sickness. If it's from God, right? Well, no, that the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that it's not from God. It's from the devil. It's a trip from the devil. It's it's a, it's trouble and struggle from the devil trying to mess your life up. And the correct way to handle it is to take authority over it, like we just said. He said, I've given you authority over all the works of the enemy. And you've got to step up and use that authority, not invite it into your life and tell it to bring its brothers and sisters and cousins and just, hey, trouble, welcome here. No, don't be like that. You've got to fight the good fight of faith. Amen you got to fight the good fight of faith. And so God provides a way out of the struggle. Now, the truth of the matter is this, is that sometimes God provides a way that we didn't see coming. Sometimes God will provide, and you had in your mind the, this whole time how you wanted God to rescue you, and then when it doesn't happen that way, you totally just missed the, the God opportunity that just came by because you were too locked in trying to, you had it figured out. Listen, you'll never figure God out. That's one thing that I've learned is that you will never figure God out. So just quit trying, just believe, just have faith and let God do his thing and receive it when it comes into your life. God uses very unconventional ways to save us from things. Now, there's this old story that probably a lot of us have heard, but, but man, this is such a good story. So um, there, this one time, this flood came to this town, right? And I mean, the, 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 the levees broke and, and, and the flood just came in and flooded the town. But there's this one man, he was a good Christian man. He said, you know what? Everyone else is leaving. I'm staying put. God's going to rescue me from this. And so the neighbors come by in their cars, water's rising. Get in the car, quick, we're getting out of here. And he says, no, no, God's going to rescue me. I don't need your car, go on. And so soon the waters rise a little bit. He has to go upstairs to the second story. Someone comes by in a rowboat. Get in, get in, we're going to save you. He says, no, God's going to save me. Take your rowboat, I don't need that stuff. God's going to save me. And so next the waters come up a little higher. Now he's on the roof. The police come by in a speedboat. Get in the boat, we're here to save you. He says, no. God's going to save me. I don't need you guys. So eventually he's up to the chimney. A helicopter comes and throws a rope down and says, grab onto the rope. We're going to save you. Grab onto the rope. This is your last chance. He says, I don't need your rope and your helicopter. God's going to save me. And then you know what happens next? He drowns and dies. Like what? He's trusting God. And so he gets to heaven and he, he, he gets right up there and he talks to God. Why didn't you save me? I looked like a fool down there. Why didn't I told everybody you were going to save me? Where were you, God? Why didn't you save me? And God says, I sent a car. I sent a rowboat. I sent a speedboat. I sent, I even sent a helicopter and you didn't receive any of the help I sent. That was my way of rescuing you. 
And a lot of times we're sitting here waiting on a complete and total earth-shaking divine miracle. And those happen. And I have seen those happen. And you've seen those happen. I've had that happen in my life. But there's been other times where God sent a rowboat. Other times that God sent, a, you know, a helicopter or somebody where God has sent different ways of providing a way of escape. First Corinthians ten thirteen. He provided a way of escape. And I said, no, no, I'm, no, I'm waiting on the miracle. Listen, what if that was the miracle? What if God did send those people? What if God did open that way of escape? But you're sitting there saying, no, no, I've got it. I know how it's going to work. Listen, let God be God. I, all I care is that I get saved. If he if he causes a big hole to open and drains the water, that's fine. I don't care. If he takes a straw and sucks it up, that's fine. I don't care. But if he wants to send a helicopter to rescue me, that's fine too. I just know that God is faithful. He won't let the trouble to be more than I can stand. And he will always provide a way out of the trouble. But I just got to open my eyes and see what God's doing. And a lot of times we don't see it because we've already made up in our minds how it's supposed to go. Has anyone ever known enough to give God advice? Has anyone ever known enough to give instruction to the Lord? No. For all the nations of the earth are but dust on the scales. God picks up the whole earth as if it was a tiny grain of sand. You don't know enough to tell God what to do. If he's sending a helicopter, get in the thing, man. Get in the thing and let God rescue you. Amen. Got awful quiet in here right now, so I think somebody, man, some some of you guys turned down your helicopter somewhere, I think, but I don't know. Number three, number three, God's grace is enough to get past the struggle. And that's what I want to get to tonight, is that God's grace is enough to get past the struggle that is oh so real in our lives. God's grace is enough. To get through this. So I want to show you something in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9. Let's turn over there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9. In fact, we just sang this song a little bit ago. That your grace is enough. I didn't even tell them to do that. So good job guys. His grace is enough. So look at this. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. This is the Apostle Paul speaking here. And he's talking about he has this thorn in the flesh. He says it's a a messenger sent by Satan to buffet him. Not buffet. Calm down. Some of you are like, I'll sign up for the buffet. Yeah. (laughs) No, 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 no. Buffet. That's a King James word. And buffet, that means to to repeatedly blow, man, to just keep hitting. If you're just sitting there nonstop, Hit after hit. Maybe you're driving a stake into the ground or something. Man, that is buffeting that thing. You're just hit, 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 hit. And Apostle Paul said he's had a Satan sent by messenger, a messenger sent by Satan to buffet him. And a lot of people, I, I, I people have screwed this passage up a lot more than a lot of other passages. In the, they, they, well, that means God put a sickness on him. Nowhere in here does it say that God put a sickness. He says that, that it was something sent by Satan. To buffet him. And he doesn't even say that it's a sickness. And I, and, and if you study that, I mean, it's, it's somebody that came to speak against his ministry. And, and anyway, but 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, because Paul kept asking God to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. 
And so Paul says, now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so the power of Christ can work through me. So the question is, what is grace? Well, that's a very deep question. This is one of the deepest topics in all of Scripture because there's several different graces outlined in the Bible. There's saving grace. There's grace for serving. There's there's different graces mentioned in the New Testament. But let's just say the most basic definition of grace is undeserved favor, undeserved help. Ephesians tells us we are saved by grace. You didn't deserve to get saved. I don't deserve to go to heaven on my own. No way. I've done enough stupid things to keep me out of heaven, and I know I'm not the only one. We all have. And so we have to be saved by grace because none of us are just that good that we could get there on our own. And so Paul right here, the Jesus speaks to Paul and says, the undeserved blessing, the undeserved help is all that you need to get through this. And, 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 I, and I love looking at this because Jesus is telling Paul, this is a paraphrase, he says, when you quit relying on your own strength and admit you can't do it on your own, my strength and my grace will kick in. And that's all you need. And so Paul at that point says, man, if that's all I need, then I'm glad, I'll, I'll boast in my weakness. Yeah, I'm weak. I can't do it on my own. And Jesus says, my grace It works best in your weakness when we can finally get to a place of letting go and trying to do it on our own and admitting I can't do it on my own. That's when the grace of God kicks in. Yeah, you don't deserve it. None of us do. But that's the beautiful thing about grace is that we don't deserve it. You can't pay for grace. You can't buy it with money. You can't do enough good things to bring it into your life. It's just the gift of God. We are saved by grace. And that's a beautiful thing. And whenever we finally admit, I'm not, I listen, I, I've tried this on my own. I, this is beyond me. That's when God says, I'm glad you're, you're ready to hand it over to me. My grace is all you need. My strength works best in your weakness. When you're not trying to be so strong on your own, when you're, when you're ready to give it to me, that's when my power works best. When you just let me be God, let me come in and scoop up the water in my hand, let me pick you up, that's when my power works best is in your weakness. Anybody else been there? Where you finally reached the spot and said, oh, this is beyond me. I, I, I can't do that. This is beyond me. And then God says, it's not beyond me. I've got this. You let me handle this. That's the grace of God. And Paul got to experience this in his life. And so have you ever been in a moment of weakness where you finally reached the end and said, I can't do this. But then the grace of God kicks in and you do the impossible. God comes in and in the end, you look back on it later and you're like, man, how did I get through that one? How did that happen? Well, it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that came and bailed you out and rescued you. And we've all been there. And it's a beautiful thing to be in. So I want to show you something else that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. No, chapter 11. Forgive me. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And so if you think that you've faced the struggle, Paul has faced the struggle a lot worse than you. Let's just get, we're not making light of your struggle, okay? Struggle's real. We get it. Okay. But all I'm saying is this, is that Paul went through things a lot worse than what any of us have been through. Let's get real here. Second Corinthians 11 verses 23 through 27. Now, 
Paul compiles this list of the things that he's been through. And I read this list and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is awful. Man, the things that he went through were a lot worse than the stuff that I've ever been through. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Look here at verse 23. He starts out, he says, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. Look at this. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. He says, I have been beaten so many times that I have lost count. The times without number. I don't even know how many times I've been beaten with a whip, man. I, I, that's more times than I can count. I faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Now, as we've said, the 39 lashes, that's the beating that Jesus took before he went to the cross. Paul received that five different times. Now, you've seen the movie The Passion. You've seen, you know, you've got a little bit of an idea of what that looked like. That killed a lot of people one time through. Paul faced this five different times. Can you imagine what his back looked like? This man had to be totally tore up and scarred his back. I mean, can you imagine each time the soldiers went to lift up his shirt and beat him? And they're like, whoa, man, he's been through this before. He didn't learn his lesson the other times. Every time, man. And and the thing is, he still kept doing what he was doing. He still kept preaching. It wasn't enough to make him quit. I know people that have quit on God for far less than this. Let's keep reading here. Three times I was beaten with rods. I've never been beaten with a rod, but it doesn't sound like fun, and I surely don't want it to happen three times. So, three times he was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. We're in California, so let's leave that alone. But three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. Can you imagine being shipwrecked three times, but floating in the middle of the ocean for a whole night and day, hanging onto a piece of wood? I mean, imagine there's sharks swimming around or whatever. You're sitting there bloodied and mangled, floating on a piece of wood in the middle of the ocean, and you still can't wait to get back up and go preach to people. Thank you, Jesus, for just giving me, counting me worthy to suffer for you, Lord. You are so, God, I want to praise you right now. You are good. Your mercy endures forever. Hey, Silas, let's do a worship service. And they start, they start singing worship songs in these times. Man, how could he do all this? Let's keep reading. I have, I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. He had everyone mad at him. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. My gosh, man. The things that he went through in this last verse, verse 27, says, I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And yes, he keeps writing this letter to them and he gets to this place, you know, in in the next chapter, he says, but God's grace is enough. I'm not complaining. God's grace. He's always brought me through. How could Paul go through all of those struggles? Would you say that the struggle was real for Paul? The struggle was real. Okay, he didn't make this up. This was real, and this was a lot worse than anything that I've personally ever faced. And yet, 
every time he gets knocked down, he gets back up and says, no, I'm not going to quit. Hit me again. I'm not quitting. I'm going to preach about Jesus. Do it again. And every time he gets knocked down, but he keeps getting back up and preaching. And in one chapter in Acts, it says they stoned him to the point where they all thought he was dead. And I believe that he very well could have been dead. But they they stone him and he's laying there dead. The believers gather around and pray for Paul. He gets back up and walks right back into the city and preaches. And you want to quit? I'm embarrassed. I've wanted to quit at times. No one's ever done this to me. I've said, oh my gosh, this, the struggle's real. The struggle's real. And I mean, times are tough everywhere. Everyone's struggling right now. Listen to me. Get that out of your vocabulary. If you keep talking about the struggle and the problems, do you realize that you're just giving the devil glory? You're praising the devil. You're sitting there saying, no, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And the devil's saying, thank you. Yes, thank you. I'm, yeah, I'm, thank you. I'm good at what I do. But when you stop and you say, man, this is a, this, yeah, this is a problem right here, but it's not greater than God. God can handle this. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loves me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Thanks be to God who always causes me to triumph in Christ Jesus. When you start doing that, you're giving the glory to God. And that's when this, when, when it gets real, that's when rescue comes. That's when you get out of the struggle. But if you just want to keep praising the devil, and you, you may not even see it that way, but it's true. And the more you talk about the, and magnify the problem, oh, it's bad. I'm getting sicker and sicker. It's getting poorer and poorer. Worse and worse. Depressed and depressed. Worse and worse. The crazier and cra- All this stuff. Listen. You're just you're making the devil so proud and telling everyone the devil's really good at what he does. He is so good that God can't save me out of it. He is so good that 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 it's beyond God helping me in this. And you don't even see it that way. But it's the truth. Quit praising the devil. Stop that. Quit it. Stop praising the devil and start praising God. Just like Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. Just like that. I was listening to Desiree's sermon from Sunday. She went over there. She went to Acts 16. They were getting beat to a pulp, man. And Paul and Silas, they start praising and singing hymns and praying even in the midst of the struggle. And guess what? God shook that whole situation up. Acts 16, 23. He shook the whole thing up and the prison flew open and they walked out. What if Paul and Silas had got down there after they were beaten up and just talked about how bad it was? What if that man, this the, Silas? I'm going to tell you what, man. I've been beaten before, but this is this is the worst. I, I think I'm done. I really think this is. I think that I'm not going to preach anymore. I think that I'm going to quit this time. I really mean it. I really mean it. The struggle's real. It is real. What if they had done that? The doors would have never opened. I can guarantee you that. That's the truth. And I guess what? You wouldn't have most of your New Testament either. Paul wouldn't have been around to write it. You wouldn't have all these epistles. Wouldn't have happened. So listen, God has a work for you to do. He has people for you to reach. But if the struggle is just too big for you, then all right, struggle's real. That's it, period, that's it. But if you can get up and say, man, no, God is bigger than the struggle. God always provides a way out. And God's grace is more than enough to get me through this situation. If you can be bold enough and brave enough and big enough to put your faith in God, he's going to get you through it. And listen, you're not going to be saying the struggle is real anymore. You're going to say, I used to have a struggle, but I squashed that with the power of God. And now I'm on to bigger and better things. Amen.
All right, so the struggle is real, but it is not greater than Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand up right there tonight. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.